Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hardcore Finance Show with Alex and Shimon. Today, we have a very exciting topic to discuss, which is whether what we're seeing right now will continue or whether we'll revert to the mean. So, Alex, I wanted to hear your opinion on this. I recently heard uh, the All In podcast with uh, Jamath and David Sachs and Jason and all of these um, guys, and they had Greenberg. a... Greenberg. And they had a, um, uh, a summit uh, where they interviewed Bill Gurley. And Bill Gurley said something very interesting. Basically, I- I'm reading all of the Twitter sphere, all of the, like, pre- uh, you know, economic uh, thought leaders, and you can pretty much split them into two camps. I don't know if they're equal in size, but two camps. One camp says, we are really screwed because last time that, you know, the Fed tried to raise rates and the markets collapsed, they really quickly said, no, 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 okay, okay, we'll lower the rates back down. But that was at a point where we had no inflation. So now... They can't lower rates because that would create a lot of inflation, but they also can't keep the rates high because then they'll default on their debt. And we spoke about that in previous um, previous shows. But then Bill Gurley had an optimistic view, which I'd never heard before, which he said, look, guys, inflation is coming down because once you start overlapping with last year where prices were high, basically there were a bunch of stuff that happened in COVID. Uh, people got a lot of money through stimulus checks but the supply chains kind of broke. So that kind of broke prices. You just said prices are a signaling mechanism. It kind of broke, but like now, you know, it will come back down. People will figure out how to manufacture things. And yes, there's war in Ukraine and commodity prices, but those are like individual incidents overall as the CPI go back down, which means that the Fed will be able to lower interest rates, not default on the debt and the markets will keep pumping. So which of these two uh, theories do you subscribe to? Uh, I was just listening to you say this and just kind of try to take it in. Um, I think I need to hear the podcast. I There's a lot of, of what you said that is hard to disprove because it's if you take a long enough time horizon, then like, of course, it will happen. So, for example, um, you know, there is there is war and we can figure out how to innovate our way out of these inflationary things like food shortages. Yeah, we can. We can build and, you know, uh, plant in the U.S. It'll take a year at least, right, to maybe two or three at the very least to at scale, let's say, move farming over to the U.S. Then you're going to think about, okay, well, we're going to resupply chain, right, uh, to not be so dependent on others or kind of nationalize or bring things inside the various countries. We're going to back up. Army load up baby formula on planes. Yeah, exactly. From Germany. Right. So, but you know, we have all these supply chain dependencies where we're going to reevaluate them. That takes years. So, oh, of course, after a certain point, inflation will come down. That's one. Two, there's a base effect. Yeah. When your inflation is high, and then next year compared to this year, which is very high, it'll look like it's not increasing at all. But it's just a base effect. It's not inflation can stay sticky, right? No, I no. Think- Here I have to disagree with you. I completely agreed with you until now. But like the whole point is that if you don't have inflation, right? Let's say the prices stay sticky at the current levels, but mm-hmm. they don't keep increasing. Yeah. That can allow the Fed to lower interest rates. 
and that would be the sure and then so sure fair enough but <laughs> the economy is still heated right what's the fed doing there's what's happening now i mean now is a very unprecedented situation in, in many ways we are we have inflation yet the economy is doing quite well although some starting to see some kind of cracks uh, but the economy is doing quite well and uh, low which is very unemployment's low you kind of broke right? The, right people thought that like well exactly. no, actually, you could have inflation and low unemployment you could have that because that means that wages have price pressure so you, do, you 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 know you could have it, it the other thing is <clears throat> it's like everything is getting crushed in the markets everything because the markets can't figure out whether where the fed put you know the 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 stopgap essentially when the Fed freaks out, the markets are falling too fast. Where that's coming in. Um, we have we have bonds that have been being it's weird. It's like on one hand they're they're bought up, right, because the Fed is doing it. On the other hand, the Fed stops, nobody's buying the bonds and then free fall. But at a certain point when you get a capitulation, the markets typically you see a sell off in in stocks and you see a mad rush into bonds, so yields fall. That's like when people are just flying to safety. That's not really, I, I just, it's such a weird environment. Plus, if there is a recession, uh, I know I kind of went on a tangent, but if there is a recession, earnings will compress. So now you have multiples compressed, earnings will compress, the market will come get hit. I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm in the, the doom and gloom camp because, uh, his whole argument, it seems, of <clears throat> it'll get better later on. It will get better later on because of base effects and because at some point inflation will go down. The question is how much, right? Will the Fed reduce rates? I don't know. Like, where's the break even? Is the break even a 4% or 5%? And the Fed, you know, they'll keep rates at three or two and a half and keep them there for a little bit. Plus, there is another aspect to this whole thing because the war. Inflation isn't just caused by, uh, you know, the monetary policy of just printing. It's also caused by by supply, supply shortages. So you can slow demand all you want, but if the problem is with supply, the supply chain shortages, and those aren't getting unclogged because China is being stupid with COVID and because there's a war, then then the Fed can't reduce rates, right? Because those things will still remain, even though they're technically transitory. Yeah, I don't think that I buy the supply chains being a long-term problem. I just can't fathom it that we can't figure out how to make stuff. You know what I mean? Like, we have enough stuff. It's just a matter of, like, distributing it to the right people. Uh, so we have enough energy. We have enough calories. We have enough everything. We don't have enough calories what in America. Mean? But there's going to be starvation now because of what's happening because of the wheat not coming out of Ukraine. Wheat is a weed. It grows in three months. So, yes, China was smart and has like eighteen <coughs> months or 18 months of reserves. And other countries are not smart and they don't have wheat reserves. But, again, that's a very short-term thing. Any problem with wheat can be resolved in six months. By definition, you plant it, six months later, you have a crop. So I just don't buy it Yeah, Like, you know, specific countries can mismanage their policy and whatever, but I'm, I just but don't. But if you're in Africa and you don't have, and you don't have the fields to do it or the, or the infrastructure to do it, 
So I guess my point is more on a global level. Yeah. Of course that individual countries can have huge problems and it's heartbreaking and it's a tragedy that in the 21st century, we can't figure out how to like give enough calories to everybody on earth, um, for sure. But I'm talking about like the stock market. I just don't see any inherent supply chain issues. Even I just interviewed somebody uh, from Hong Kong. They're like, yay, they're letting us go to restaurants again. You know what I mean? So even countries that are crazy with lockdowns, you know, they can't continue forever uh, just because it will destroy the economy. So I think that I'm, I personally am less worried about supply chain issues. Uh, you well, know, I'm more worried about inflation yeah. that can come from other, pro you know, like from other policies. Uh, wait, you wait, know, sorry, before you go on, can we talk about your time horizon? Can you say that it, uh, it will solve itself? What's your time horizon? Are you talking about six year. months, a year? One how year. many years? One year. No, but in one year, supply chains can't resolve themselves. It may be in, may not, not to the full extent, not like, oh, we just, you know, start making stuff in the U.S. or start making stuff in Europe. We can't just make stuff, chips, lithium, getting lithium out of the ground, right? So like Russia, uh, nuclear, um, uh, nuclear, um, oh my God, the isotopes, uranium. Right. uranium. Yeah, Ross Adam provides like a lot of the uranium to the world. What are they going to give us uranium? What's happening to our power plants? I mean, there are certain things that are, you know, decoupling a globalized supply chain takes takes some time, five years, 10 years, you know, until we're fully back up to speed to, to decouple and rebuild. Are you expecting inflation to stay consistently high for five years? I'm expecting inflation to, I hope inflation falls down to four and a half, five percent kind of uh, top line this year. I don't know what, 3% core. Uh, and then, and then you know, stays there. If it stays there for, yeah, another couple of, you know, years might be okay. And then maybe in 24, it'll start coming down. <clears throat> but, you know, again, I don't know all, a lot of these independences. Fuel and nuclear fuel doesn't necessarily drive, it will drive some increase in, in, in energy prices, but that's, you can substitute nuclear for, you know, uh, natural gas, let's say. It's not a huge cost driver. Um, but I don't know what these other industries that are like this are. You know, chip chips getting new cars. Okay, that creeps up a bit, right? Used cars. Um, computers might cost more from chips, right? So is that is that gonna slow down the, is that going to increase the the basket overall? I don't know. Not as much as freaking, you know, gas. Yeah, like energy is a huge problem because it's an input into everything. But I mean, I don't know. Again, I just think that on a global level, if we ignore individual industries and if we ignore individual countries, um, I just don't think. I mean, another way to think about it is like, imagine if we kept at 7% or 8%. Uh, how many years can you stay at 8% without like breaking everything? Inflation? Yeah, because we're not Venezuela. I'm talking about like global inflation, like global price inflation. So it's like, you know, 10 years of 8%, it, it, it's just, it doesn't make sense, you know? Well, what do you mean it doesn't make sense? I mean, it, it's just very bad. It makes sense to me. It could happen. It's just 
it's just terrible. <laughs> I mean, you're wiping out, and that's, I don't know if it'll be global on average. Let's say the U.S. is five. Yeah, maybe that's global, eight, eight on average global weighted for the economy. Yeah. We've printed, we did, the, the interesting thought that I, that I heard, uh, and it's an interesting, actually, bifurcation. Like, does printing money cause inflation? My answer was, of course, yes, but it's actually more nuanced than that, right? It's like um, that inflation technically isn't money printed. Inflation technically is supply and demand changes. Money printing goes into capital assets. Typically, there's inflation there. But true CPI inflation is how does that money printing trickle down into supply and demand? Does it overstimulate the economy, overstimulate demand, which is what we typically think of. Where this is why helicopter money just gets everything going, everybody's running, getting, buying the same thing. But a lot of times it goes into capital assets. So money printing isn't necessarily the cause of kind of CPI inflation, but its actions thereafter are. And I think now we're having these actions post, post-COVID, because during COVID, there's nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah, which is why you know you have these high tech stocks bid up. But again, it's not like more people aren't paying for Microsoft. This is you know. So when you when the whole tech sector takes a hit, I know I'm, I'm kind of going on a, on a little rant here, but the whole sector takes a hit. It's a bit frustrating because it's like okay, well, people are staying at home and they're using these checks or this money and they're saving their money, so they're going to do something. Okay, I'm going to buy a Peloton bike, right? Which I'm going to use now, and now I can go out. I'm never going to use it again. I understand Peloton getting hit, but like Microsoft, you know what? You're not like sitting at home like, oh, I'm going to buy more Microsoft Office. No, it's like you know, you're working. And then and then like Google, I mean, I could sort of see a little bit of Google. Okay, it's a recession. Ad revenue is going to fall. Sorry, and just to be devil's advocate, I mean, Microsoft is a company that has a tremendous footprint, right? Uh, I could see them, uh, you know, going up in value a lot. Like if you look at all the cloud services that, you know, everybody's using, you know, LinkedIn, stuff like yeah. that. Like, so I, I could totally see that. But, but again, this is short term. The question is long term, like a year from now. I really think that the the everything will kind of revert to the mean and the mean has continuous growth. And the question is, will we be able to pay off the debt or will we have to have some sort of debt jubilee, which will be extremely painful no matter how you do it? Like, like that, why did you say? Debt jubilee? Have you heard that? Oh, they, I thought you said like, it, never mind. I thought you said something different. I know I never heard of that term. Tell me what is debt jubilee? No, I mean, a dead jubilee, it's it's something from the Bible where, like, uh, you know, emperors and kings and stuff used to, like, forgive everybody's debt every, like, 50 years or so. Jubilee. Yeah. But, I mean, my point is, you know, they can achieve a debt, an effective debt jubilee by two ways. One is to inflate away the debt. So, basically, if prices double, right, then the debt is just, like, half in terms of debt to GDP. For sure. Really, they can do that. And then we can talk about, is it catastrophic that a house that costs a million dollars today will cost $2 million, like in a couple of years? You know, will that be catastrophic? There's also a new phenomenon where before 
the different currencies would balance each other. So if someone would print a lot, their currency would weaken. But now I think all the central banks are coordinating. So like literally now uh, the, the central bank of Israel raised interest rates. Why? Because the Fed raised interest rates, right? It's a, nobody has an independent economic policy uh, or at least, at least monetary policy. Fiscal policy, maybe every uh, you know, country can do their own thing. But uh, but monetary policy, I think it's just like it's a little bit like ECB was holding, but now they're going to raise. It's like on the margin. It's like plus or minus half a year. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, do you front run it? Do you do it after you have no choice? But like at some point, you'll you'll kind of you know do what everybody else is doing. But so that's one solution. It can be beautiful. Ray Ray Dalio talks about it, right? It's like just like a deleveraging of the debt, and then then you enter another cycle. Uh, but another way to do it right, is if they just don't print the money, then people will just have to start defaulting on the debt, which will just like crash prices. So we have like a deflationary solution and we have an inflationary solution. What's for sure is that there's no solution where every everything stays as it is. My argument would be that even in a deflationary solution, as long as people don't have too much debt uh, and they get margin called and stuff, you know, we could just unwind it and then keep growing. I mean, yeah, but how long does that unwind take? Do you think? I don't know. It depends on what governments do. Like, it's really hard to predict because it, you know, I could predict things if it was just like we could base our decisions on history, but we can't really base it on history. So, yes, uh, this is going to be a monumental unwind. Yeah. I mean, like, either one will be monumental. Whether it's an inflationary unwind or a deflationary unwind, it's going to be monumental. The question is, how do we position ourselves to uh, to benefit from it? Um, and I think my best my best guess currently, since we missed the energy trade and we missed the commodities trade, uh, it's just a matter of like buying some kind of assets that are productive, whether it's stocks or whether it's real estate in areas where you know it yields yes, you cash flow yeah exactly and then and then you can adjust the cash flow uh you know if there's inflation you raise the rent uh and and i'm assuming that you know stocks also have the same pricing power of just like increasing costco just increased the price of their hot dogs right from a dollar to dollar fifty up to like 30. So, listen so. so an interesting idea i heard recently u.s farmland there's a, and, and, and so I was thinking like, what are the effects, right? For sure, for sure, because of this, we're going to, we're going to uh, domesticate some uh, agricultural, I think, production. And we're going to, you know, NATO is going to need to be rearmed. So I think defense, and this whole farmland idea is pretty interesting, actually. Very interesting, because it's literally productive land. And there's an ETF on it. Yeah, the question is, do you think it will outperform the like S and P five hundred? Because like you are getting exposure to these things on the S and P five hundred. Yes, I do. So but we're talking about sectors, right? That's the thing. I don't know. I first of all about countries. I'm the most bullish about the U.S. Like with this war in Ukraine, it's like really good for the U.S. because. Uh, we have energy, we have food, we have everything. Maybe we don't have chips, but that's okay. Cause like, you know, Taiwan, uh, I think it's. Oh, I thought you were talking about potato chips. You're like, we don't have food. Maybe, we, maybe we have chips. I'm like, whoa, they kind of made here. Frito. Frito-Lay. 
<laughs> and then I realized not the right chips, Mr. <laughs> Ibuda, not the right chips. No, but my point is though, like if you had to bet, you know, in um on a country, I would totally bet on the US. Uh also we have like geographical arbitrage like within the continent, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean, I, I don't hold any other stocks that are outside of the U.S. Uh, the U.S. stock market has been outperforming all the other stock markets so far. So I don't know. I just don't know. Like, even if I were to believe your doom and gloom scenario, like the question is, how do you, you know? What do you do? What do you do? You, what scenario do you believe? So I really think you know, being the optimist that I am. I really think that basically inflation will come down. I, I basically think we're, we're going to have a repeat of 2018. Inflation will come down. There's going to be a huge relief rally. Uh, on the All In podcast, they were talking about, it. look, the price of a used car was $20,000 forever, right? If you just like remove the normal CPI, a used car costs the same. Suddenly now it costs $28,000. Like why wouldn't it go back down to 20000 By the way, by the way, uh, uh... You said a, a relief rally. That's that's typically a bear market rally, and it's going to go down further. No, so, I mean relief in the sense, uh, not the technical analysis. I just mean people will be like, "Oh, we were expecting inflation to be higher, and then it's actually lower." Oh, so they would price in the fact that the Fed would lower interest rates and so forth. That's what it. I mean, and I really think that that's uh, that's in the cards for us. I have no way of predicting it, but. I don't know. I just think that very, very smart people are working on this problem. And I think it's only a matter of time until they solve it. That, Which that's problem? The, just the, the, the economy problem should show that we're seeing right now. So like, <laughs> no, because the, the, the issue I'm is, not as optimistic. Well, I, another thing that I wanted to say uh, before I hear a pessimistic take is like, look, 2008 was a specific error, right? Which was like, People were getting mortgages that shouldn't have gotten mortgages. They should have rented instead. 2000 was a specific error, which is like there was a new technology. People did not know how to price it. And so they, they, the bubble was crazy up and then it crashed like crazy. Now there's no particular error in the economy. It's just like a bunch of things that just happened together. But it's not like you can ooh, point ooh, to- I know. Yes. How about an exorbitant amount of debt? built up in the system. But do you think it's exorbitant? Is it more than, than normal? Yeah. I don't know. We can look at well, just our Actually, deficits. Our, our annual deficits are I think 30 after, trillion. After World War II, I think the debt to GDP. Let's see here. USA debt to GDP. So I'm looking at the chart mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I think it's like three to four percent. Sorry? I think it's like three, four percent now. I don't remember how much exactly. How much what's it usually? Uh currently is hundred and thirty three percent uh project no, sorry. It's it's uh the current one is hundred and thirty and it's projected to go up to hundred and thirty three percent by twenty twenty six, but I uh yeah, yeah I don't mind talking about three or four. I need thinking something else. So uh, deficit, I was thinking of the deficit, federal deficit. Not yeah. Deficit. Okay. So here, here, here we go. Okay. I'm looking at a fascinating chart, uh, which is. Share that screen. Of we'll, you. Can, can we share the screen? 
You can show the screen, but for the people listening to the podcast, we will uh, explain. I'll explain the chart. I'll be, oh. Can I be the chart jockey? You can. Show the chart. Show the chart. So walk us through this chart. Mm, mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so we have a chart of U.S. debt held by the public percent of GDP from 1790 to 2021. This is meaningless. This is by the public. But there is... Uh, I've seen similar charts for just overall debt to GDP, so I think it's a good... good no, because there's stuff about China, stuff about foreign corporation. The Treasury holds more. I think this is directionally accurate because I was about to say before I shared this chart that we have had yeah. higher debt to GDP, and that was after World War II. And that's what this chart shows. So That was World War II. Yeah. So 120% of GDP held by the public, World War II, we still have a way to go. And then they had an economic boom, post-war economic boom, that basically paid off the debt. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so my optimistic scenario would be that uh, this thing repeats itself. Like the COVID line... The continuation of it is exactly like the World War II line. So basically, this says if that happens, the stock market is going to pop like crazy. But the only way this happens is if all of a sudden we have a couple of years of productivity and we see the growth is not stalling. The, the worst thing that can happen for the economy now is stalling growth. Well, not the economy, stock market for everything. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And and that's the question. What do you think? How, like, what are the forces that are pro-growth and what are the forces that are anti-growth? Like, anti-growth is the huge levels of debt. So you have to, like, spend money on paying off the debt instead of investing it in stuff that can make you grow more. Regulation? Uh, yeah, regulation. But, I mean, well, regulation could be reversed. Exactly. That's what, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, smart people are working on this. Like, if really... <laughs> Some of some of the the other parties getting elected on this. <laughs> well, exactly. So it's like you know, if if you're Biden and you have very high gas prices, you know, you know that you have to lower the gas prices, and we have things that we can do, like approve drilling <laughs> on public lands, sell more leases, build pipelines. Like, there's many things that we can do within America. That are not dependent. Like Europe is really screwed because Europe really needs the Russian uh, energy, and they really don't have a better uh, solution within the next twenty years because it takes like twenty years to build a nuclear power plant. So, so they really don't have a good solution. Um, but but for the U.S., you know, and when I say yeah. gas prices going down, I mean what if like inflation now over the next five years is 100%, right? But the gas prices stay at $5 per gallon. That would be them going down in real terms. And that's like the debt jubilee I'm talking about. That's the unwinding I'm talking about. Like everything doubles, but gas doesn't. Um, because so, it's cheaper to make, cheaper to produce, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, like some people in Europe currently are paying so much on energy, it's almost like the price of their rent. Like it's insane. If if you have like uh, if you live in a poor part, if not in a big city, and you have a big house, uh, I heard that some of the you know heating bills and so forth uh, are more than the rent. So it's it's they're in big trouble. I would not invest in European stocks. 
Yeah, Europe, it just seems, I don't know if there's a lost decade or lost whatever, but they've lost, I mean, they've lost their cutting edge. They were maybe like since 15 years ago, mid 2000s, definitely post 2010. It was it just kind of, they've been on a decline from a regulatory perspective. It, they've lost their edge uh, after the Berlin Wall collapsed. That's how I see it. Because like until then they had a reason to work really hard and to like, you know, outcompete the the other well, what block. about afterwards? There the Euro was introduced, right? Then the everyone came onto the Euro. That was a big deal. Then the Euro was high, you know, I remember when it flipped the dollar and then it was talking about being the Euro being the reserve currency of the world. I mean they had a little bit of a early two thousand spot in the light, you know? No? I feel yeah. like that was maybe like the height. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a, a Europe expert. All I know is that Europe and Japan, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet on them. And no, and also they have very low birth rates. It's it's a correlation. Like it's a correlation. Like it's hard to be excited about bringing three kids. Like you really need three kids in order to grow the population. Two kids is just keeping them at the same level. So like to to have three kids, you need to be excited about the future. And it's really hard to be excited about the future when you don't you know, when you have high unemployment and so forth. So that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point about that. How it all, it's an interesting way everything you know ties back together through human emotion. That's why I do technical analysis. Oh <laughs> yeah, plug T plug. Cool. So, so let's, before we before we just close, what do you think about the crypto uh, world and Bitcoin? How uh, what's not? I, I can't. I can't, my, my poor heart strings are taut and uh, they're singing a melody, a very sad melody. I can't talk about crypto. I can't. Yeah. It's terrible. I mean, Bitcoin, basically, this is like, you know, coming to Bitcoin to hold Bitcoin. That's the safest thing now, Ethereum, maybe. Um, I just, Senator Loomis tweeted out a little bit ago that, you know, her bill is coming June 7th. Like, thank God, let's get some free. She's putting forward a crypto framework through Congress. Apparently it's bipartisan. It's kind of weird, bipartisan, both pro and bipartisan against, but you know, whatever. Uh, hopefully they pass it. Just like regulate stable coins already. Some of the stuff that's out there is very sensible. Regulate, just tell us what you want us to do and we'll do it. I mean, like your sensible regulation is, is fine. Don't think outlaw stupid shit like proof of work, you know, but just have an audit. No problem. Like KYC, no problem. I know. You know, what's crazy. Uh, now in Israel, I heard the news. They are uh, working really hard to <laughs> lower prices because their, their inflation <laughs> is worse than the U.S., and yeah. like we're gonna remove barriers between banks. So in Israel, there's like three main banks, and each of them have their own uh, their own version of Zelle. You know oh. Zelle. So each <laughs> yeah. has its own Zelle, where you can transfer, you know, between people just by sending their email address instead of like having routing numbers and stuff like that. And so then the the government was like, we're going to force the banks so they're each <laughs> to each other. You know, and you you can transfer between banks for free. It's probably going to take five years. You know, just use Bitcoin. And, or a stable coin. Forget about Bitcoin. Just like use a stable coin. Well, I mean, lightning on Bitcoin. You don't, you're not exposed to the thing. Oh, yeah. Or use a stable coin. I'm saying if you're the government, just do 
a stable, you don't even need a CBDC. Just start by having a stable coin. Yeah. Just literally any stable coin. It doesn't have to be programmable, anything. And then people can transfer it between themselves. Like it's, it's insane to me, uh, that, that we haven't, we have the solution. We have the technology. That's it. It Nothing. works. <laughs> Just regulation. Uh, but anyway, I know. So that's my optimistic point that there's still a lot of uh, inefficiencies and you know, sometimes necessity is the mother of invention. Like, uh, we really can uh, be more efficient, but we just didn't have the impetus. And that's probably the biggest uh, optimistic take that I have, which is like, you know, again, desperate times call for, you know. Well, we got some impetus, all right. We got, no. we got, some, we got some impetus for the last six months. It's true, though. It's really true. I mean, sure. said, uh, again, on the All In podcast, something like 18% of global wealth has been destroyed over the last not many months. And so it's like, okay, now's the time to act. Now's the time. And by the way, COVID made us much more productive in, in other ways, but like, it was just wasted by sending checks to people. Like, you know, in San Francisco, I had some academic uh, friends who don't, you know, they, they don't work in tech. Yeah. They're like, I make more money on my stimulus than, than I work while I'm going to the university. You know, it's not like someone who's like working at a gas station. It's like PhDs. And they were still making more money on their stimulus. Crazy. So it's like, you know, <laughs> that's what I mean. Things were not normal over these last two years. They can just go back to normal and keep chugging along. Well, here's the chugging along. I cheers to you. Please like, comment, subscribe, comment, tell us what you would like to hear. Uh, and visit hardcorefinance.com. Yeah. Uh, good to talk to you again, Alex, and let's see how the events unfold this week. To the moon. To the moon.